fans wherever you may be. Welcome inside the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and featuring 12thManRising.com editor and football analyst, Keith Myers. Hey, Hawks fans, this is the Hawks Playbook Podcast. We're at episode 16 now, and today's uh, podcast is going to focus on the uh, safety position. And we're also going to, uh, to dive into uh, a couple of special teams players as well, uh, specialists on the Seahawks, kicker, punter, and long snapper as well at the tail end of our, our podcast. I'm here, as usual, with Keith Myers. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. So how's everything how today? You? You're all ha- Everything's good. Good, yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things are good. My, uh, I got... Uh, I had some uh, back issues this last year, so I got a cortisone injection uh, a couple days ago. Actually feels a little better now. Uh, that uh, Some of the pain from just the actual injections, I had like seven seven of those hypodermic needles, you know, or whatever you call them. I don't know if it's hypodermic, but it's uh, the same they do for like an epidural. It's like that long, mm-hmm. nasty needle that if you actually looked at it with your own eye, like the doctor hides it from you, it's so big, you know. And so I had seven of those spots in my back taken care of on the like L4, L5 that I've had problems with for a while and actually feels decent. I'm, I'm actually hopeful that uh, some of that stuff will go away. That, well, I'm glad you're feeling better. The idea of seven of those huge needles, because I've seen, I saw those when, you know, my wife gave birth to the kids and she got the epidural and those scared me and they weren't going into me. So you had seven of them, which is pretty dang incredible. So I'm well, yeah, I'll just leave it at that because at this point I feel better. So it's good. 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 So, um, anxious to get going on today's show. And, um, so in the news, uh, let's see last week we had the Seahawks, uh, had mini camp, um, and we saw all the, all the veterans come in, including Michael Bennett. Um, he, he frequently takes a pass on his voluntary uh, workouts in the Seahawks facility cause he works out on his own. And, um, he was there as well as, uh, uh had some participation from, from everybody recovering from surgery with the exception of, uh, Deshaun Shedd. So that was going on in camp. Anything that you saw that, uh, looked interesting to you? Of course, this time of the year, it's really hard to tell. Uh, it is hard to tell, but one of the things that got me kind of excited was to see uh, Earl Thomas out there running around, um, and because that's that's big. I mean, you, there is no replacement for Earl Thomas, and this being the safety episode, we'll we'll talk in great detail about him. But having him out there, having him running around, having him um, say that you know, mentally, despite all of the uh, retirement rumors and everything. He's a hundred percent there and ready to go and excited to play and all of that. So he said all the right things and he's out there <clears throat> practicing and, and that just gets me excited and ready to go. So, um, yeah, so he's come a long way yeah. since the day that he got injured, I think in week, what was it? 12 last year. Yeah. I think it was the, the 12th games week 13. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, and, uh, you know, and he lay injured in the, uh, locker room talking, contemplating possibly retirement Mm -hmm. and to come all the way, all this way back. It's a testament not only to him, but I think to the brotherhood that they've got in Seattle, the team camaraderie where, uh, all for one, one for all, 
uh, mentality. And um, yeah, excited to see him back for sure because I think he's ready to explode this year along with a number of other players. Cam Chancellor had double ankle surgery in February to remove some bone spurs. He's back out there. Tyler Lockett was uh, fielding some punts. Granted, not running around too much, but I think he, he was running a little bit because they, they, uh, I saw that he was running a, a few passing routes. Which is, um, cr- and, which is uh, that's incredible if you think about just how <laughs> gruesome that his broken leg was with the bone sticking out and compound fracture. Yeah, Russell Wilson said he came when he got there uh, at this on this you know on, on the field where where Lockett was down. All he saw was this blood and everything, you know, just kind of like filling up his uh, Lockett's pants and uh, he said it was just just gross and and tough. So you think about going from there to. Being back on the field and everything, it's not a long window. I mean, this is pretty quick. Um, so for him to be back out there at all, doing anything at this stage, uh, this early is a very good sign for him being ready to go for the season. You know, it's interesting. And uh, later on in the uh, in the season of our podcast, um, we'll talk about uh, maybe some injuries in more detail uh, later on and how players might recover from those. Uh, but uh, it's... When you think about it, the uh, the youth of his age, you know, 22, 23, 24 years old, right? Plus being in an organization, a professional organization in the United States with the best doctors, the best facilities, everything's kind of going for him. And, and recovery like this is, is possible. It is, it is amazing. And it's really come a long way in the last 20, 25 years, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you think about... Um, I mean, that injury could have been a career ender. Um, and so you look at, you know, like uh, Joe Theismann's broken leg and how that, what that did to his career and that kind of thing. And yeah. so then, you, then you, you fast forward to, you know, last season and you see Lockett's uh, broken leg. And it wasn't like this wasn't a minor break. This wasn't like, you know, anything. this was as bad as bad as they get. And. Here he is just a couple of months later out there fielding punts and running around and starting to get ready for this season. It's just absolutely incredible. I would imagine he'll be ready for camp, but I also imagine he probably won't take too many snaps in the preseason and uh, have him ready to go in game, yeah. game one. I, I expect them to ease him back very slowly. Uh, I would think. Just they don't want to risk re-injury. They want to make sure that, you know... Because there, there will be some much muscle atrophy because of the fact that his leg was in a cast for a while. So they're going to work him back, make sure that he gets his strength back, all of his range of motion and all of his joints and everything are, are, are good before they have him go full speed. So it'll be a slow, um, a slow build up for him. But I do expect him to be ready to go week one, which is just incredible to think about. Because at one point, you know, there was talk that this may be a permanent, like... Uh, issue for him that he'll just never get back to where he was and like I said here's just a couple months later and you know he's running around and doing things and it's just a very quick recovery and one last note that we had in our news uh, since our last podcast uh, was unfortunately uh, the Seahawks saw the passing of another player in uh, Rick Tootin um, Seahawks punter uh, from the past at age 52 died unexpectedly in Costa Rica um he made the Pro Bowl in 94. Uh, he left the Seahawks to join the Rams in 98 and eventually won the Super Bowl ring in 99. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, another player, um, unfortunately, lost too early. Way too early. This, and it's becoming 
I mean, obviously, you know, two doesn't make a uh, a trend, but it's still, um, you know, Cortez Kennedy passed at uh, 48, and now you've got Rick Tooten at 52, and that's a lot of players, you know, that we're losing at really <clears throat> young w- ages. So I would imagine, Keith, that uh, we'll probably have, unfortunately, more of these sorts of discussions as time goes on because the team is uh, past uh, 40 years old as it's um, franchise age, and some of these players we've grown up seeing over the years from the from the beginning are now well into their 60s, uh, some of them 80s, and coaches into their uh, in 80s. Um, and, um, yeah, it's just one of those things. Just one of those things. It is. It just doesn't make it any easier, though. True. So today, let's get into it. Uh, let's talk about the roster. Before we talk about the roster, I, um, I thought we should talk a little bit about the Richard Sherman interview. And, oh, yeah. And some of uh, what came out of that, because... It was it was definitely interesting and enlightening. It was a nice long discussion that he had with uh, reporters. So he had about a twenty twenty five minute discussion uh, press conference. His first one since December, by the way, mm-hmm. and uh, it was open and kind of freewheeling. And uh, if you have a chance, uh, go take a look at it. I know that the News Tribune has it up on their website in video form, and also Greg Bell transposed. Uh, the entire interview uh, in print form as well. And I took a look at that this morning, actually, when I had some time to read it. And uh, very interesting because uh, um, Richard Sherman really didn't hold back and he was very open, um, kind of reflective of for him. And it uh, seemed to me that he was trying to push the reset button a little bit, at least with the local media, uh, to maybe come back into favor he also contradicted a few things that uh, were out in the public uh, uh, earlier uh, this spring with regards to the trade issue in particular. He spent quite a bit of time on that and talked about um, how it didn't go down exactly the way that it was portrayed out in the public. According to him, uh, his perspective, he uh, characterized those discussions that the Seahawks had as being real but that it was more of a open discussion and conversation that the team had, uh, not only with him, but with other teams and that Richard Sherman, his agent had and so forth. Um, he, he basically came out and said that he did not ask for a trade specifically. Now it's been characterized that it, it was a, an ask for a trade, uh, sort of statement that came out this spring and uh, Keith, you had mentioned in our uh, private conversations earlier that uh, uh, you thought that that was um, the way the story actually went down. Yeah, can you the, get into that? Well, the, when the story came out that it was that Sherman had asked for a trade, that was leaked by the, by the team that came out from the Seahawks themselves, and so that's part of the reason why um, I don't re- I don't believe Sherman when he says he never asked for a trade. Um, he might have said he might have never said I want you to trade me, like I or I don't want to play here. Trade me. He like and just being forceful about it. But he was the one who initiated the okay. Let's explore the trade option. Maybe maybe I'm I'm open to a trade or something like that. Yeah, like but he's the one who started it, and I think that is it's an important thing for Seahawks fans to keep in mind, especially when he says it's not. I don't think it stayed that way. I think it became a back and forth where him and the team discussed. They're like, hey, we're not going to just trade you to get you off the roster because we like you here. You're awesome. We love you. 
Um, so we're only going to let you go if we get what we're asking for. And recent reports have been that the six were asking for two first round picks uh, for him, and nobody came close to putting up to that. So that's why it became a, a situation where they just he wasn't going anywhere. And so um, I think it, it it became this back and forth. They talked about it and and that kind of thing. But it's I think it's important to uh, keep the uh, and how it started correctly, and that is that Sherman actually came to the team and said, let's explore this. Uh, In this interview, Keith, it was a fairly wide-ranging interview, and one of the points that uh, that highlighted the interview that ran through um, multiple subjects was the fact that uh, the narrative uh, often <clears throat> portrayed in the media about these players and about the locker room and so forth, and he talked about uh, the situation where Wilson was, uh, uh, somebody was quoted about Wilson saying that he wasn't black enough. And saw, and he said that was basically not true and that that really wasn't said or wasn't implied. And that was something that was <clears throat> made up essentially by somebody in the media to cause strife or for clickbait and so forth. And so <clears throat> he he was really keen on making sure that everyone understood that if you want the real story, you need to hear it straight from the players because they're the ones that really know what's going on on a daily basis. The coaches, the players, the, uh, the teamwork, how it's a brotherhood and, and yeah, all that good but stuff. The, Kumbaya. The, but the same time, I found it interesting not, though. They're not going to be, completely open and honest of everything. Well, that's, that's true, but I did find we, it interesting that he came kind of for. full circle around from his combative nature this last season to this new kind of reset Richard Sherman that mm -hmm. that appeared in front of the cameras uh, this week because, um, and I, I'm hope the reason I say, the reason that we're even talking about this at all is because it is interesting. A guy like Richard Sherman, he can cause a lot of animosity out there. Um, says a lot of things. Uh, says things for a reaction. Oftentimes, uh, over the top, he can be. Uh, but he attributed all the things that happened last year to just his passion for the game and uh, kind of getting over his skis a little bit, if you will. Um, and but the players still sticking by him you know, through all that and he sticks by everybody else. And so I don't, I found the, the interview refreshing only in that I hope it helps heal whatever divide there might be, although I don't have any proof of any, but if there is any animosity towards him or between the coaches and him or uh, management, um, that maybe some of that will be reconciled. I hope by... so too. I'm, I am uh, clearly more skeptical than you on this. I'm, and again, I'm kind of cynical about a lot of things, so that should be expected. But um, what I want to see is, does he behave himself this year? Which I think he will. I don't. I don't actually have much concern. But what's the state of things going into next off season? You know, is he right now? He says, "Oh, I want to retire in Seattle, and I love the city, and blah blah blah." But come, you know, late February next year, is he trying to get out again? Um, well, and, and we talked that it would be easier to trade him next year as opposed to this last off season. Yes. He's got one year left on his contract next year. Uh, his contract becomes much more palatable for a team to be able to uh, take him on on a one-year basis. Um, and the Seahawks can still probably get almost as much, if not 
well, especially if he has a great season, you yep. get just as much for him this next off season as he could have gotten this. this yeah, offseason. and the having the one year left um, sets up a trade and resign situation um, where the agent gets involved in the in the trade stuff. So any trade that happens comes with a contract extension kind of built into it that signed right after he gets to the, on the other team. Uh, kind of like what the Seahawks did with Percy Harvin when they traded for Percy Harvin and then immediately signed him to uh, an extension that they later regretted. But um, <clears throat> that's a completely different topic. So, well, uh, and a completely different type of player, too, because I think, tell much. you what, if Richard Sherman is traded, uh, he instantly upgrades any backfield. I mean, this is one of the premier defensive backs in the entire NFL. Yep. And uh, and yep. it looks to be on the Hall of Fame track. So Absolutely. So, anyway, so that's that. It's a, something to keep an eye on, of course, uh, as we go forward is, you know, what's going on with him. But I don't expect that he is going to misbehave um, during, obviously, late up to the season and then during the season. Maybe if things aren't going as he would like as far as wins and that kind of stuff. Uh, he might start being a problem again later in the season, but we'll see. I kind of it would. I think I expect him to be on his best behavior because if even if he does want out, he knows that his behavior last year made his trade market smaller. You know what? I think that Richard Sherman is fine. I you know, with the, with the couple of exceptions last year where he kind of blew up a little bit, he's t- he's totally within the bounds of where he's always been. And the Seahawks have always uh, done well with players like that, and in particular Richard Sherman. Mm-hmm. So I don't see any problem at all. I think that he's he's going to be outstanding, and I think that the team is going to actually be really good. If you really look at this roster up and down the entire thing, we've got a really good shot this year to be special. I mean, and you take a look at the schedule, and uh, maybe we can talk about that in another podcast at some point. Yeah, that's a topic for another day, but the schedule is definitely yeah. favorable this year. The schedule is favorable. I I could see 12 wins. I normally don't go out on a limb like that. I think the most I ever predicted for the Seahawks to win, like legit, is uh, 11 wins uh, at one point, and that was the Super Bowl season. It ended up being the Super Bowl season. In fact, I confided in my mom before the season started. I said, you know what? This is our year. This is a chance for us to be able to go to the Super Bowl. And, and uh, of course, I didn't say that publicly, but... Uh, this is one of those years where things may line up, giving, uh, given uh, we can keep our injuries in check, uh, where it looks like it might be special. So let's talk about safeties. Let's Keith. talk about safeties because, you know, there's only seven of them on the roster, which seems crazy because I think at one point last year uh, on the active 53 roster, 53 man roster, I felt like they had like 18 safeties. Um, okay, they didn't. The most they ever had was like <laughs> seven, but... Um, they have seven safeties on the roster right now, which I think but is, it, is incredible. It does hold a little bit more promise this season to be a little bit more, uh, we have a little bit more depth. Yes. And so let's, let's get into that a little bit. So the first player on our list was, uh, Marcus Cromartie, uh, a distant cousin to the other Cromartie in the league. Um, he's a free safety and he's been around a little bit, um, <laughs> a little bit. He uh, started as an undrafted free agent uh, in 2013 for San Diego. He's been with Cleveland, San Francisco, and the Bills. And the Seahawks picked him up in 2017. I'm not exactly sure what we've got here. He's uh, shown as a free safety on the roster. Um, I think his best shot would probably be special teams. But looking at the other uh, guys on the list, I don't have 
too much hope for him to make the final cut. I don't either. Um, Cromartie is, he's a special teams ace. That's, that's kind of his role. He is competing with, uh, like Dewey McDonald to be the one, um, special teamer who's listed at another position because the team, CX tend to have one of those every year. They, they keep four special teams players. Um, you know, the kicker, punter, long snapper, and then one player who's nothing but a, um, a gunner. And so Cromartie's basically trying to compete with a guy like Dewey McDonald uh, for that job. And the only thing that I would say gives him a shot is because there's so few safeties on the roster in camp. So they might keep one that can uh, provide depth there. But I just don't see him winning a job over the other safeties. So, um, And if they keep a fifth safety to keep him, that means they lose a cornerback. And they're so much deeper at cornerback. I just don't want... I don't know, not, not want, I don't expect them to cut uh, a guy like Mike Tyson uh, to keep Marcus Cromartie. I, it's just not a, a situation I can see them, them, them doing. I agree. I agree. And, you know, there's, there's a little bit of uh, roster diversity on the guys that will probably make the roster between corner and safety to where we probably have the position covered without him on the team. Yep. Um, another guy that I thought is one of the most interesting gets in the off season for Seattle um, is Bradley, Bradley McDougald. We signed him to a one year kind of prove it deal as a free agent uh, from the bucks. Uh, he's been pretty consistent the last couple of years with the, with the bucks. He's got 87 tackles in 2015 with them. A couple of interceptions in 2016. He started uh, 16 games, 15 games with them in fifth in uh, 2015. Last year he had 91 tackles, 10 pass breakups and a couple of interceptions in a pretty steady role as their free safety. Um, what do you think of Bradley McDougald? He's one of those guys who you look at and, he was a starter. He has starter numbers. Athletically, maybe he's he's borderline. He's not a um, he's not a star. He's not a um, an Earl Thomas, but he is a guy who can play in this league and has a history of showing that he can play in this league. And so it was definitely a good pickup. <clears throat> what what he brings to the table is is he better than Steve Terrell? Yes, that's what he brings to the table. So there's the <clears throat> upgrade. You know that that our defense kind of needed right there was that depth. Yep. Because when, when uh, Earl Thomas went down, there was literally a black hole behind him uh, and no, nothing the team could do to get anything out of the safety position that was going to be anywhere close to what Thomas brought. Um, McDougald isn't Earl Thomas. And so if, if Thomas gets hurt again, they're going to have to tweak things. They can't just continue to run out the exact same scheme and expect McDougal to be Earl Thomas, but he's still a better player. He's an experienced player. He's a proven guy that they know can get the job done. Um, and I, they, they, some, that's something that they needed. Now, last year they had Kelsey McCray. Um, but what happened was because of all of the, you know, Cam Chancellor injuries and everything, Kelsey McCray became, uh, the backup strong safety and practiced there almost exclusively because, they just didn't have a lot of faith in, that Cam Chancellor was going to stay healthy and going to, you know, being out there every week. So, he, so McCray got away from practicing um, at free safety. He was a strong safety first and a free safety second. McDougal is a free safety, free safety first and a strong safety second, but he's a guy who can play both. Uh, yeah. So, so he, that's the guy he's replacing on the roster. Um, 
but what that does is it so it, it creates that um, versatile backup, but it also is a major upgrade over uh, Stephen Terrell, who became the backup free safety because of what happened with McCray last year being basically moved off the position. So um, it what it, it and then that it the other half of that is that it opens up a hole for the backup strong safety that the team's going to have to fill during training camp by one of the youngsters. How about uh, how about another guy, uh, a guy that we drafted this year in the fourth round, uh, Tedrick Thompson. He was one of that trio of uh, players out of Colorado that we really liked pre-draft, mm-hmm. including uh, Akello Witherspoon back there. And I, for the life of me, can't remember the other guy right off the top of my head. Uh, but Tedrick was was part of that crew there that uh, all three of those guys ended up being second team, all Pac-12. Uh, he's kind of a rangy, ball-hawking kind of guy that really likes to get in there and tackle. Um, good speed. Um, it looks like they, the team's wanting to, to try him out at free safety first. Uh, what do you think about Tedrick Thompson? I like Tedrick Thompson. I liked him in the in the lead-up. He... Um, he was a guy that I was looking at because it's that, that Colorado secondary, which was very good. Um, and he was kind of the leader of it. Uh, and he had seven interceptions last year. Yeah, he is. Uh, or yeah, he did. Um, he's a guy that they can, uh, they think they can line him up and have him cover uh, one-on-one at times, which is nice to see. He's got a lot of speed, got a lot of range, is a physical. Is he, is he competing directly with McDougald? I think he is for playing time. I don't think he is because for like a for a roster spot because okay. McDougald's okay. contract just doesn't work out that you could cut him easily. I mean the team won't won't uh, they won't shy away from you know doing that and just kind of eating the contract. But at the same time, they don't want to have nothing but rookies behind the two starters. So they want to have a guy like McDougald that they can trust to be back there and then to be developing the rookies behind him. And so I actually think both those guys have a very, very good chance of making the uh, roster. Well, the, the certainly not the, the last uh, or least free safety left on our list is uh, Earl Thomas. And uh, since this guy came into the league in 2010, I can't even believe he came into the league in 2010. I mean – Crap, Keith, we're already almost halfway through this guy's career, probably, at least, right? But he was yep. the 14th overall pick in the 2010 draft. He's only 5'10", 202. Mm-hmm. I, you know, sometimes you forget just how small he is. He is not, but, a, big, he is not a big guy. And that's yeah. the, the reason why he dropped to Seattle um, in the draft and that he didn't go, like, top five because his tape was phenomenal um, but the reason why he dropped a little bit was because of the size, and there was a lot of concern that he would be really good for a very short period of time, and then his body would break down, and that would be the end of yeah. it. So you're wasting a, uh, you know, you'd, you'd be well, not wasting, but spending a top five pick on a guy you're only going to have for a few years. Um, well, and until week thirteen of 2016, Earl Thomas started and played in every game. Every that he single was in. game. Yep. And that is, you know, that tells you a lot about him and the way he plays because he has had a, been banged up a couple times, but he played through well, what it and happened, wasn't a problem. What happened to him last year uh, against Carolina? Uh, he laid out to make a play on a ball, and Cam Chancellor laid out to make a play on the ball, and Chancellor's knee caught. Um, 
Chancellor's the bigger guy. He's a much bigger <laughs> and, guy. Well, yeah, and, also and he was, won that collision. It was Chancellor's knee versus um, versus Earl's Earl tibia. Thomas's. Yeah, versus yeah. his like, shin bone. His shin bone. Right, right. And yeah. uh, sorry, the knee's going to win that. And um, so, yeah, broken leg. And, and at the, at, when it happened at the time, they thought, okay, they're going to have to do surgery and put a rod in it. But it turned out to be a fairly minor fracture. It, they uh, were able to splint it and get and it healed on its own. They didn't have to put the rod in. And that's good news because it's a much, much quicker recovery for him, as we see, because he's out there running around and practicing already. Um, but that's not the type of injury that you look at and you go, oh, well, that's his body starting to break down. Um, broken bones just don't count for that because there's no soft tissue damage around it. And when you actually break bones, the bone, once it heals, that spot is stronger than it was, uh, before the injury. So there, there's no re-injury worry when, with, with broken bones. It's the soft tissue injuries that where you have a problem. And so this particular injury, uh, for Earl is not a sign that he is, you know, that his body's starting to break down and any of that concern that we had um, before his career started because of his size. I tell you what, his off-season work mentality and ethic on getting this thing right for him has been outstanding. I've been following him on uh, Twitter and Instagram and so forth and watching the progress. And this guy is just hungry. Mm-hmm. And he just sleeps and eats and breathes football. He loves his, his guys at, in Seattle and will do everything he can to get back. And to, to be the best player that he can be, not just for himself, but for his teammates. And uh, it sounds like he's full go. By the time camp rolls around in the first game, um, there won't be holding any Earl Thomas back. No. And, you know, before he had that injury, too, he was on his way to a sixth straight Pro Bowl, you know, and probably a fourth uh, uh, all-pro selection. So oh, this yeah. is the, this is the a, premier free safety in the NFL. This We're watching a Hall of Fame career. I mean, let's let's... That is not hyperbole. That is not anything. He is the best free safety in the NFL, um, without a doubt. Like I mean, there are other good ones, but it's it's Earl Thomas and everybody else on the on the best defense on the best the defense. Yeah, and when his so it was the best defense in the NFL until he got hurt, and then the defense completely fell apart. It shows just how important he is to the Seahawks being that best defense. And then you look at all the pro bowls, all the all pros, how much respect every other player in the NFL has for him, for his, and for how good he is. Um, I mean, it's, it, it just, it is not hyperbole to say this is a hall of fame career. We are watching. The only thing that will keep him out will be if he decides to hang him up like after this season. And even then he's been so good for his whole career that he would still have a chance. He'd still have a shot at making it in. So, so I think that, uh, you know, when we all take a look at this, uh, team from 2010, on, uh, let's say 15 years from now, you're probably looking at at least, at least four, if not six hall of fame players to come out of this team. And especially if like a Jimmy Graham were to resign, Mm-hmm. And stay with the team until he uh, retires. Um, there's another guy, you know. And then if you take a look at, um, well, you got you got Richard Sherman, you got Marshawn Earl Lynch, po- possibly. You count. You got to count that. But. You got to count him. I think he's borderline. It depends on how this year in Oakland goes. If he puts up another like 1,200 yard season, that really helps his case for getting in. Um, on another team would help. It, oddly, yes. 
Uh, well, it, it, it's, it's not a matter of which team. It's just a matter of his, um, because of some of the stuff that happened in Buffalo, uh, his, count, yeah. his counting stats aren't there. Um, so if he gets another 1,200 yards, it just moves him up up the list as far as all time rushing. He's got two Super Bowls, you know, he's got two Super Bowls. Yep. One win. Yep. And then you've got, you know, possibly Cam Chancellor. I mean, I'm not going to rule Cam out, but if he continues to be um, an impact player the way he does for at least another three years, he could, he could be on that list. Bobby Wagner, Um, definitely. Bobby Wagner. uh, You take a look at the other side of the, of the, uh, on the offense, you don't have very many, but uh, Russell Wilson's on his way. If he were to continue having 4,000 yard seasons and his efficiency is up there and maybe go to another couple of Super Bowls and, and possibly win another one, he could be on that list. You're taking a look at Pete Carroll as a coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were to add another couple of Super Bowls in there, he would definitely be on there. He's close now. He's close. Know, because he's impacted the game, uh, well, I think, especially at the uh, defense. Well, it's not, especially you, you see his his scheme kind of peripherating through the through the league now. And, other teams and his coaching adopting. tree is building. Yes. Yeah. Um, and even teams that that aren't necessarily part of his coaching tree. Like San Francisco has said, we're implementing this at Seattle defense yeah. scheme-wise. Yeah. And so that, that shows a little bit. But the bigger thing for, with, as far as Pete Carroll goes, his Hall of Fame, is going to come from that tackling video that they released a few years ago. And the, his teaching and getting out to the entire NFL, the rugby-style tackling and how it is safer. Um, yep. And, you know, limits head injuries for defensive players and all of that. And that shift in the way tackling is taught uh, in the NFL is going to have a major lasting impact within the league. It's the type of thing that will get him into the Hall of Fame on top of his coaching, like his wins and loss resume. And one more player we've, we forgot to mention, although we mentioned it when we were talking about him, was uh, Richard Sherman. You know, and so there's another yep. guy. So there's there's four or five guys that could easily... Yeah, easily go to the Hall of Fame out of this team, basically, yes. and Pete Carroll's team. Yeah, and so that's and that gives you an idea of why the Seahawks are in the Super Bowl conversation every year during this current window, even when the offensive line like throws a complete monkey wrench into um, <laughs> into yeah. into the works like like it did last year. It was still a team that um, won a playoff game and you know, was in the divisional round and despite all the dysfunction and everything was right there. So it just shows you like, this is a team that has a lot of talent, a lot of good players, and they're going to continue to be a contender as long as, as long as these guys are still in Seattle's uh, uniforms. Yeah. Well, and then you take a look at the top too, you know, we talked about Pete Carroll, but then you got John Schneider. I mean, here's a guy that's probably one of two or three GMs in the league that are at the top of their game. Absolutely. You know? and, and when he works with Pete Carroll as a team, man, I mean, would you trade that duo for any other duo in the NFL? Nope. I wouldn't. Um, I mean, obviously you look at it objectively and you got to say, well, uh, Bill Belichick and the current, uh, whoever the current guy um, with him is because it rotates through who's the, uh, the personnel guy who's helping him. But, that is is probably the only one that is comparable. It's the only one where you've got um, such a good track record of drafting, developing, winning. Um, right. And so you just don't have a, another duo. I mean, there, there are other great coaches. There are other great GMs. Um, but 
you know, that would, it's really, it's, it's a, it's a top two with those two. So let's move on to, excuse me, strong safeties. Yeah. And the number one guy on the list is Camp Chancellor. Absolutely. Probably, you know, one of two strong safeties in the league that I, I wouldn't, you know, want any other strong safety on the Seattle Seahawks. He's, he's the identity of the team. He's team captain. Um, he kind of does it all. Fifth round selection out of 2010. Again, 2010. Great draft. Um, he A little tidbit nobody really knows about Cam. You may have uh, a while ago, but he was the 27th ranked quarterback coming out of high school by rivals.com right yeah well it's just because he's he he was he's six three so you think about that and he was a quarterback and he's big and strong and fast and um he's tall which you know is helpful because you don't want you know the five eleven quarterbacks but oh wait that's what russell wilson is uh, <laughs> <laughs> no well but, another thing is he didn't start a game in his rookie season either didn't start a game in his rookie season. No, didn't play but, on a few games. But they had Lawyer Malloy as the strong True. safety, and they worked Cam Chancellor onto the field. He got a lot of playing time with the defense because they ran that bandit package where um, they had Earl back and two strong safeties in, which was a it was a creative package at the time. It um, it was something that the, the league hadn't seen in a long time, and they just didn't adapt to it well. Uh, so it was the team made a point of getting him in there, but they also made a point of developing Cam and making sure he was ready to be the starter in year two. Well, he was always a big hitter, always oh, yeah. could hit. So he had a nose for the football from the beginning, but he learned how to be a strong safety. Yes. And 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 being around Earl Thomas as well uh, helped him tremendously. And then just the, the team in general, the scheme, everything kind of came together for Cam. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's uh, since then, since 2011, when he replaced uh, lawyer Malloy, he's uh, he's made the pro ball on his own. He's become his own player. He could stand on his own and, and be highly recruited by almost any start in almost any team in the NFL. No doubt. Yep. Uh, I absolutely agree. I mean, he's he is he's a phenomenal player and his ability to to in, intimidate guys that come over the middle and just kind of take over games. You see a lot of um, a lot of running backs and tight ends in the center of the field get those alligator arms when the ball gets to them uh, because yes. they know that Cam Chancellor is lurking. Now, well, that hit he put on Davis that one time that he got yellow flagged for uh, a legal hit to the head. Remember that he, play where he, he came he, over yep, near right the goal the, line? Right on the sidelines. And he didn't hit him in the helmet at all. It's shoulder. No, just right, totally right in, right in the chest. It's right in the chest, but you oh. at, the, at the same point, I mean, you and I get to watch it um, in slow motion slow for all motion. the different angles. When you watch it live and fast, his, his, his head, head just whipped back. His head right. whips back like he just took a helmet to the helmet. But it was really just because the hit was so hard into the chest that it just like momentum yes. and everything. I mean, it was crazy. So I don't, I, I don't necessarily blame the ref for that uh, particular uh, flag, even though the video shows yes. it was wrong. But man, that was a hit. And the thing is that that hit really changed the, his career, not Cam's, Davis's career. Uh, Absolutely, because I mean, he had a good year the next year statistically. But he just never looked like he never the same. was the name. He wasn't the same player. He never looked like the same player. He wasn't. In fact, that dynamic. whole team we he destroyed. Wasn't. We destroyed San Francisco. So if you remember, I mean, before the Seahawks got good, 
San Francisco was good. Oh, yeah. They were the they were the team in the NFC yep. and in the NFC West. It was look it looked like an uphill battle for the Seattle Seahawks mm-hmm. uh, in 2010, 2011. It looked like we weren't going to be able to get over the hump with those guys because they were just talented, deep talented team, yep. and we owned them from that point on. Yep. I mean. We, you know, they we, they didn't win at home. We beat Kaepernick every time. We laid out hits like that and basically ran them out of town. Yeah, we. I mean, just destroyed their coach. The Seahawks <laughs> broke them. Destroyed their team. <laughs> we broke. I mean, it was and it, and I'm not just trying to say that as a homer. That's just the way it is. Yeah. It's just that's just the way it was. I mean, people forget that the 49ers were that tipped pass from uh, Richard Sherman to Malcolm Smith for the interception away from going to their second straight Super Bowl. Um, yeah. You know, they, it was their third yeah. straight, third NFC, straight NFC uh, championship NFC championship game. Um, yeah. I mean, they were right there. And then after that tipped play. So you want to talk were, about hangovers. Uh, yeah. Seattle points to that hangover with new England, but we gave them a hangover that's still there. Yeah. Well, it, it completely dismantled the organization. Well, to the point now when they're rebuilding, they want to be like the Seattle Seahawks. Which is crazy. I know. Okay, so back to strong safety. I love our team. We've got... (laughs) Me too. Um, Okay, so after after Cam, it gets kind of dicey because uh, at the the strong safety spot, because we've got a rookie that we drafted, uh, third-round pick, 95 overall, uh, this last draft, uh, Delano Hill... um, out of the University of Michigan. I like him because he's got good size, 6'1", 215. He's got good speed, really good speed, actually, uh, at four uh, four four seven forty. I liked him out of the draft. Physical, aggressive, plays downhill, all that good stuff. Where does, uh, does he have any shortcomings that we might look for? I mean, nobody's really seen him yet, so we kind of don't know how he's going to fit into where they're at in the equation as they put their team together. See, I, I liked his tape because he does the things the Seattle asks their strong safety to do, um, which th- what they ask the strong safety to do is built around Cam Chancellor um, and his strengths. Uh, and so what you see when you, when you, if you go through and start reading the, read the pre-draft reports on uh, Delano Hill um, and they re you, you they're they're almost identical to the ones for Cam Chancellor. You can put them up side by side without the name attached to them and try and figure out which one belongs to one and which one belongs to the other. And the only difference is Cam is ten pounds heavier and two two inches taller. Um, it's it's very similar in the box. Plays more like a linebacker. Very good against the run. Uh, instinctive so have... player. Big hitter. And then the downfall yeah. is. Needs a lot of work in coverage. Might be just a... Right. Uh, um, well, they did have Peppers there with Hill in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Peppers was the guy that, with the name that had a chance to make more plays, more of their free-ranging kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but Delano Hill did exactly what he was asked. He did. Um, and and because they had Peppers there, uh, Harbaugh went to a a scheme where he basically kind of did what the Seahawks do with Earl and Cam, where one was always back in center field and the other yeah. one's up in the box, more like a linebacker, because he could. He had the he had the guys to do that. Um, well, guess what? That's what the Seahawks have. That's what they want to do. So it's going to be very similar. They can play to Hill's strength um, and kind of shelter him from a little bit from his weaknesses, which are his coverage abilities. And the other thing is that if you look at 
Cam Chancellor's coverage skills as a rookie and even in his second and third year weren't they weren't there and he has gotten progressively better in coverage every year. Yep. Now he's actually yep. it's actually a strength for him. And I think Well, the, that Super Bowl against Denver was a, was an amazing showcase. Absolutely. Uh, coming out party for Chancellor because mm-hmm. he destroyed their uh, tight end. He deserved to be the MVP of that team, not Malcolm Smith. I think so. I'm sorry. I, to- just, I, I totally agree. Uh, and that's not, I'm not trying to take anything away from what Malcolm Smith did because he had a great game too, but Smith had a couple of big plays and Chancellor had a big game. He dominated that game. So, uh, but whatever, that's the past. Um, I think they're going to, what they're going to do with Hill is they're going to use him um, as Cam Chancellor's backup more, more of a developmental guy if chancellor well gets... and it's a hedge too because chancellor's in the last year of his contract and yes. if they for some reason don't decide to extend him and he goes into free agency next year yes. at there... least we've got a guy that's uh, been under the under the wing for a year yeah and he's built in the same way that chancellor is um this the Pete Carroll said they are working on getting chancellor signed like that's in the works it's in the progress he says these things take a while um, basically, kind but of how how much does the team continue to uh, pay um, guys like Cam Chancellor uh, on the other side of thirty years old in the physical type of game that he plays, knowing that he's missed time already uh, several games. Well, not several, but a few games each year the last couple of seasons. Um, when does that value proposition start to really fall off? And and, and I know as a as a as a fan, you want guys like Cam around for a long time and Earl and, um, you know, some of the other guys that are our premier guys. But, you know, teams like New England, often they would take a look at this Cam contract coming up and they would, this would be the time that they would look at flipping him, possibly. Yeah. He's 29 and going into the season, he's going to be 30 when he's, uh, for the, the, the year when his uh, new contract kicks in. Um, he, you're right. He's already missed games over the last couple of seasons. He is. It, there is some concern that he's starting to break down. I think what you do, if you're the Seahawks, is you sign him to a deal that's going to pay him what it needs to keep him. But you do it. You structure the deal in a way you can move on from him if you need to. And so, if, so a two or three year deal with some money up front, but so not, that you can but, get out of a contract but, in the yeah, second or third year, but with not a lot of money up front, um, as for, not a lot of signing bonus money. Um, so instead, you guarantee the first year's deal, and that's where you get the guaranteed money. But you don't do a huge chunk of signing bonus and prorate that over the other years because that comes out as dead money when you want to move him. Uh, so you have a contract that pays him well, but doesn't have a lot of dead money. So that way, if after um, the 2018 season, you're like, mm, you know what? Maybe we do want to move on. Uh, maybe we're ready to give Hill the starting job or a new player that they've drafted between now and then. Um, they can go ahead and do that. They can go ahead and um, trade Chancellor for whatever they can get for him and move on. Because if you lock him into a deal that's structured wrong, you're kind of trapped. You can't really do anything with him because of all the dead money that's in the in the contract. What what happens just in a broader conversation? And don't want to get too long-winded in this, but what happens to the team's mentality when we start losing guys in contract situations because of age and value and so forth, like Cam, like Earl, like um, you know some of the other guys that we are are basically our foundation to our team starts to rotate through 
Because we haven't had to deal with that yet. Well, the I don't necessarily I'm not necessarily going to completely agree that we haven't had to deal with that because Red Bryant was the captain of the defense before Cam and the CX. But he wasn't on Cam. the same level as these guys. Not 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 our trajectory as being kind of a Hall, Hall of Fame class moved through our system. True, but uh, he was a starter. He was a big impact player. He was team captain. And when they didn't, when he got to that age where he was not, you know, they were, he was dropping off and the team's scheme was, was adapting. They cut him and kept Michael Bennett instead. And that was obviously the right move. Um, They cut Chris Clemens and kept uh, Cliff Averill instead, which was obviously the right move. Now you're right. It's not, it's not the same as uh, Cam and and Sherman and Wagner and KJ and those guys because guys they, that got you to the Super Bowl because those are the those are the core guys that were drafted by this um, coaching staff and front office and developed into the core uh, and so it's, it's it's it is different but I could see the team just doing, it, it it all comes back to what are you replacing them with because you can change and deal with. Um, a loss of a guy like Cam Chancellor, who he is the captain, but he wasn't the captain when after that year when he held out, uh, and so they dealt with that. They he they were without him and and his talents and his leadership, and you know they had to deal with that. And you can deal with that if you've got a guy that can step in, but you can't go from having, uh, you know, Cam's the second team All Pro, uh, free safety or strong safety. You can't go from him to you know, a middling, you know, league average starter and stay elite as a defense. You've got to have that, other, that you've got to replace the quality, not just uh, the leadership. Because I think the leadership will take care of itself because you've got guys like Wagner and other guys. So <laughs> Even replacing the quality is easier said than done. Absolutely. But but you know what? Schneider, every step of the way as a GM has, has done a good job. He's, uh, when he first came, they they had like 250 roster transi- transactions that year and brought in rotated uh, most of the team in one year about half the team and then half the team the next year I mean literally that much turnover um, so that was kind of the first foundational moves that that uh, Schneider had then he built the Super Bowl team right so he he built it up to a Super Bowl team then after you win a Super Bowl now you've got to figure out how to stay there and get to that elite and that's what he's done he's stayed mm-hmm. at the top he's continued to to draft and bring in guys and now later uh Schneider needs to be able to reload and rebuild teams as these players start to to fall off so it'll be interesting to see how how he does i i have full faith in him i think he's going to be a great gm so far he's done a very good job everywhere on the roster with the exception of the offensive line at the right. Point. So the and off- I think we're coming around. I'm still I'm still working on you Keith. That's by the end of 2017 our last podcast of the season. I'm going to have you convinced that our offensive line uh, turned the corner this year because I I really think that they're actually going to be a pretty decent group. I hope so. Well, I mean the the play on the field is what's going to convince me. So the if if they play well, I am totally okay with that. So we can do that. Um, All right, we so, got a few more players just to talk about. So the last guy on the strong safety uh, spot was Jordan Simone, a five eleven guy, one hundred ninety one pounds. He's kind of a, a local guy that eventually went to Arizona State, uh, uh, right? Arizona State or Arizona? Yep. I can't remember. Arizona State had had a couple of back to back ACL 
injuries in 2015 and 16 that really devastated his career there. Uh, but he got an invite to the Seahawks rookie camp and, and stuck around long enough to still be on the roster. So what do you think of him? Um, this is a, he's an interesting pl- uh, player because you go back far enough and there was a lot of excitement about him. But two straight seasons lost to, to ACL tears. His last uh, full season was in 2014. Um, and that it's a, a long time to take off from, yep. you know, games. He's also small for a strong safety at 5'11", 191. Right, right. And, and it so looked to me, Keith, that. like he was more of like that special teams gunner competition yeah. kind of a guy. He he is, but it, but I think at strong safety because of the lack of you know basically the way the the the, the roster is constructed, you if you're gonna he needs to be able to show that he can be Chancellor's backup. I mean, I guess he doesn't because he could be the third strong safety, and just like the strong safety is just what's listed there, but he's really a special teams guy. But he's a to me he's a special he's a. Uh... A practice squad guy or nothing, because yeah. there just isn't any room for him on the roster. Mm-hmm. I don't think so, and, but if and he, I don't think that he would have any problem, you know, getting onto the practice squad if if they really felt like he was worth developing. Yeah, so and I think that's what they're going to have to do. He's listed as a strong safety, but size wise, he's not a strong safety. He needs to be. Um, they need to work on converting him, getting him off the line of scrimmage, because he's not going to stay healthy at that size. So, Keith, who are your four safeties, and who's on the bubble? Um, so my safeties, obviously, are uh, Earl Cam McDougald, like those three, and then you've got um, Tedrick Thompson. You, yeah, I, He's just too good to keep off, and that kind of leaves Delano Hill, but then you have to have a backup strong safety. So Part of me really thinks you look at those and you go, okay, those five guys are going to make the roster. Um, How many uh, corners does that leave us uh, that, room for then? That leaves us with five to six corners. Um, and six is going to be hard because you've got to steal some from another spot on the roster, which will probably be linebacker in this particular case. And they would keep. And that five. would mean, yeah, and that would mean Keith. I mean, I know there's been talk about possibly keeping three quarterbacks. That would that would eliminate the team keeping three quarterbacks. Yeah. What you'd have is you'd be trying to push uh, Boinkin uh, through waivers and onto the practice squad. Or or vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. So, yep. So it, it, it becomes a, it becomes a, a numbers game. I, I, I do like those five guys. I think those are the five guys. Yeah, I don't, I, but I, and I, I, don't, I yeah, I don't, you're right. I, I don't, don't really like anybody behind them. So it's, it's really, that's right. it's really those guys or no one. And so, Unless somebody like Thompson or Hill just never lives up to the promise and just looks lost in camp, I would it would be hard pressed to see the team do anything other than keep those five guys. At this Boy, point. it's been a while since the Seahawks have cut a fourth or third rounder. Can you remember the last fourth rounder they've cut? Um, tall receiver. Um, no, I can't remember his name. Chris Harper. Yeah. There you go. Chris Harper. Yep. Yeah, that would be so that would be very disappointing. I don't see uh, Tedrick Thompson having that sort of vulnerability myself. Oh, but. I don't either. And I, <laughs> to me it's Hill who would, but And Hill you, was drafted before Thompson. True. Um I mean, but, I know they're in the same ballpark, but, but you know, but, they're totally different players. But, but I just look I just look at the player type. Um and so I would say Hill would be more vulnerable in terms just because of his ability to 
just not adapt to the NFL from you know college ball. That would really leave us vulnerable though, as a, at a strong safety because they'd have the no. Team. We'd they, have to pick somebody up. They'd have no backup strong safety, no, like no true backup because McDougal is a, is a free safety first, right? And you've got right. Cam Chancellor who has missed time the last two seasons, so it does leave the team vulnerable. That's why I don't think Hill is vulnerable to to lose his spot. I think he's the guy. So let's spend a quick uh, five minutes, shall we, on special teams. We're not going to talk about special teams in general because uh, we don't know exactly who's going to be on them uh, specifically, but we're going to talk about our specialists. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Blair Walsh and John Ryan as the only kickers in uh, camp so far. Uh, Blair Walsh, uh, as a um, place kicker, uh, was drafted by the Vikings in the sixth round of the 2012 draft, I think fifth overall pick in the sixth round. So high up there for for that. In 2015, he was 34 of 39 field goal percentage at 87%. In 2016, though, he was 12 of 16 at 75%. And that last miss cost him his job. They cut him uh, in uh, the 10th game, after the 10th game of the 2016 season. He signed with Seattle. Uh, the highlight of his career was in 2012. He had 10 for 10 field goals over 50 yards, had many, many, many touchbacks. Uh, his 34 field goals made in 2015 led the NFL. So he is a capable guy, but he really lost it last year mentally. Um, well, when he and it lost started it, the year before, it started the year before in the playoff, game right. against, in the playoff game against Seattle. So, um, what happened was, so this is the, the ice game where it was like, you know, well below zero, zero super right. cold. And uh, so you had Richard Sherman come off the edge and uh, block a kick. And I think it was called back. Um, this was earlier in, in the game. And um, so I, I don't think it actually counted if I'm, my memory is right. But he, he came off the edge and he, and he got the ball. And that caused um, the... It caused... Uh, the Vikings to try and speed things up on their their on their field goal team. So instead of in, instead of being um, what was it two point one seconds from snap to kick, they 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 were trying to get it to one point eight, and so just just speed it up that much. And Sherman coming off the edge, you know, um, on another. Uh, on another play, you know, they everything was rushed. The ball was hooked. Uh, to the left, and it he missed a chip shot field goal, and the Seahawks yeah. went on to win. and And to be honest, it was a really bad miss, but it was created by Seattle special teams um, just being really good and forcing the Vikings to change the rhythm. And that's why it became a problem. Is once you start changing that rhythm for a field goal kicker, it becomes a mess. But then it became a confidence issue. And so you go back and you look at uh, the the following season. He, I mean, he was it was twelve of sixteen, so it's seventy five percent. It's not that bad. But it wasn't just that he was missing kicks. It was what kicks he was missing, how he was missing them, how not even. Close. And he didn't have a very good preseason either. I understand. No, he too. didn't. He, he was, looked he looked right. bad. And he wasn't just that he was missing kicks. He was missing short kicks. He was pulling stuff. He was pushing stuff. Was he missed four He missed four uh, extra points. Yeah. So he missed a bunch of extra points, too. Um, yeah. and, and that's part of the reason why, actually, why the Seahawks went with him um, over Stephen Hauschka. Wasn't that they thought he was better than Stephen Hauschka. It was just that 
He was going to cost a lot less. And it's not like Hauschka had a good year. He missed a bunch of extra points. Yeah, he did. And, um, too. And so they were like, well, if we're going to miss kicks, we might as well do it for cheaper. Oh, God. Uh, I, I hope it doesn't come down to that, Keith. I really don't. I hope Blair, Blair has a chance to turn his, his mind around a little bit because that's really what it is for him. His, physically, he's got the tools. He specializes in touchbacks. You know, so he's got a long leg. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is going to be interesting to see if, if Blair Walsh emerges as our kicker in September or if the Seahawks find somebody they like that was cut by another team and they bring him in. Because that's I, to me, that's what it's going to come down to. They don't have anybody else in camp right now. Uh, that surprises me a little bit. Um, but I would imagine with uh, camp cuts – They'll be looking at every single kicker that comes off uh, onto the um, onto the cut wire and yeah. see if there's anybody else that's a better fit for them long term. Yeah, because it's a short deal. It has got almost no guaranteed money. They can cut him at will if they need to. Um, I think what they're trying to do when you look at it is they're trying to give Walsh support and let him rebuild his confidence. Because if he does rebuild his confidence, he's a guy who... The talent is there, um, but he has to prove that he can do it. And they're trying to support him and try and get him there. Um, if he does, if he if he rebounds and looks good, great. They've got a, they've, then they've got a good kicker for the year. If he doesn't, if he looks anything like what he did last year, uh, they'll move on and, and they'll do it quickly. John Ryan, punter. There's not a lot to say about John Ryan except <clears throat> for he's been really steady. Since yeah. uh, we got him after the 2008 season, I know. I think he's the one of the, the longest or one of the longest tenured uh, Seattle Seahawks on the team. Uh, originally started out in the Canada Canadian Football League. He mm-hmm. is Canadian. Yep. He, I think he was uh, grew up in Saskatchewan area. Um, his claim to fame is he threw a touchdown pass to Gary Gilliam on that fake field goal attempt. Uh, for the in the NFC Championship game against the Packers that got us on the board after we were down sixteen to zero, literally hope was almost drained from our team. We're lining up for a field goal, you know, where I think the majority of fans wanted us to go for it on that play, no matter what the yardage, mm-hmm. because we were just running out of time. Yep. And here they line up, and he throws that touch. He's got that that really odd look on his face when he releases that ball to you. You've probably seen the picture. Oh, of course, uh, that's, that's and, and it's hilarious. Picture. It's it was hilarious, and it's and and Gilliam catches that thing. Of course, he was a uh, tight end previously. Uh, he catches that, and literally right then the momentum shifted in that game, mm-hmm. and then we uh, we went on to win it. So uh, I like John. He's he's been with us for a long time. He's probably. Uh, uh, well, he did. He signed a uh, like a four year deal, I think, in 2016 or something like that. So he's going to be around a little while. Yeah. Uh, but I would imagine after that contract is out, we're probably looking for a new punter. Yeah, probably because he's getting up there in age. But if you look at at uh, John, he he's a versatile punter, um, and I don't mean the, the touchdown pass he threw. Uh, what I mean is that he is really, really good at dropping the ball inside the ten yard line. Um, He's got 800, 800 attempts. He's got eight hundred total, eight hundred and fifty total punts. I'm going off memory, uh, and he's got like two hundred and forty of those placed inside the twenty. Yeah, I mean, he he's really good at that. But he's also got the long leg when when the team needs it. And if they they need him to just boom one um, and change field position, he can do that too. Um, he's very consistent. He does solid. He does. It's not like he gets his average by a lot of big kicks and then um, 
but then shanking one, you know what I mean? And so you end up with a fairly normal average. He's, he's just very consistent. And then the other thing, if you go back to the 2013 season, um, up until week 16, uh, John Ryan was on pace to break the record for the fewest punt return yards yes. uh, in NFL history. And then that was the la- a great special teams team. And then the last couple of the last couple of games, you know, they had it wasn't even a, like a big number. It's just a couple of returns that weren't zero or negative, and suddenly he didn't get the record. But um, but yeah, he was on pace that for for fit through 15 weeks. Um, and it, 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 he just did that. Of course, some of that was because, yeah, there was like, there was really good gunners on that team. And also partly because, uh, he was leaving his average short with a lot of hang time on purpose. Um, because that's what the team was asking him to do. Just to, they wanted, they wanted fair catches on every punt. And so he was doing that for them, but just that kind of consistency to do it, um, week in, week out and do what the coaches were asking, which was, to generate a fair catch. Um, yep. and flip it, the field. It, yep, flip the field, generate a fair catch. Don't give them a chance to return because, you know, a punt return, a big punt return can change a game. So he, they were, they said, just don't give them the, don't give them the chance to do that. And that's what he did. And um, he, he, so they've asked him to do a lot of different things with the ball when he's been punting and he's been successful at all of them. He's just a very good, very good player. And just he's kind of a fan favorite, even though he's a punter. Most teams can't yep. name their punter, um, but the Seahawks uh, fans love John Ryan. So let's talk about the two guys on the roster that that snap him the ball. Uh, Nolan Freeze. I'm not going to spend hardly any time on this guy at all because I don't like him. Not not because he's a bad person, but he's really <laughs> just, bad at his. He job. just frustrated me to the point where I literally just wanted him off the team for any reason whatsoever, and uh, he ended up getting on injured reserve at the very end of the season. And uh, Seattle signed another guy, Tyler Ott, who I liked much better as a uh, guy that can actually do his job. Now I know why they liked Nolan Freeze. Because he can, uh, he's a good blocker, um, but um, it was much, much more about actually getting the ball back properly to John Ryan and to our um, to to John Ryan as a holder for the place kicker, and Tyler Ott did a much better job at that. Yeah, Freeze just he's as a the long snapper, you have to be super accurate uh, with snapping the ball, and Freeze wasn't. Um, yes, he was good as a blocker. Yes, he was good at getting downfield on um, punts and helping cover the kicks. And those are the things that they liked from him and the things that they didn't like from Jermaine Gresham, the guy that um, who was there first. And so it became a, you know, they went with the guy that could do those other things. But as a long snapper, you got to snap the ball first. And then when they brought in Ott, it was like, all of the special teams issues that they'd been dealing with suddenly went away yes. because, because now the ball was going where it needed to be. And yes. to me personally, I'm like, I never understood that whole thing. I really didn't. I mean, and they would make excuses. Pete Carroll would come out and make excuses about why they were keeping Nolan freeze um, and not moving on from him during, during the year. And we had probably, at least a dozen instances where the ball was either high, low, in the dirt, over the head, whatever for the for the year, and it made that um, that special teams play just very inconsistent and very frustrating for normal fans watching the game. But Pete Carroll, you know, always had something to say in, in a positive way about him, and 
they kept him to the he was on injured reserve. So I don't understand exactly what the dynamic was, and they kind of gave up on Gresham. And us fans were like, "Well, Gresham was doing a great job. Why did you get rid of him?" Um, but maybe they've found somebody in Ott that they can stick with for for a while. I hope so. so. I, I hope so because I I liked what I saw from Ott. I mean, granted, it wasn't it wasn't a long tryout in terms of his you know how long he was out there, and you only get a few snaps a game, but. His accuracy was where it needed to be. He was also a guy who could get downfield and block and do the things that Freeze could do that Gresham couldn't. So he kind of seemed like, you know, maybe not 100% accurate uh, like Gresham was and maybe not as athletic and ability to get down the field as um, Freeze was, but he's a nice, happy medium in the middle and someone that that uh, John Ryan could depend on uh, much more than they ever could with Freeze. So that's a wrap on our roster breakdown for today. Did you have any mailbag stuff this week, Keith? I, I do have a mailbag question, but it's one that we can save. And since we're already running a little long, let's save it for next time. Sounds good. Sounds good. So let's close this thing up. Yeah. You've, you've been listening to the Hawks Playbook Podcast. You can find Keith at Myers NFL. You can find myself at NWC Hawk and the show at Hawks Playbook. Uh, we've got our own website at hawksplaybook.com. Come on over there and take a listen to all of our podcasts. We've got them archived on the, the webpage. There's a couple articles up there right now. I'm trying to talk Keith into writing uh, an article for me Don't up worry. on there. I'll get, I'll get some stuff. I've, <laughs> I've, I'm finally going to have some, some, some free time to actually get some writing done and, and, and do that rather than being as crazy busy as I have been. So it'll get done soon. It's funny. Life just gets in the way. It's it really just does. the way it's just Especially the way it works. Especially when you have kids. Yep. Kids are giant so, time sinks. So, hey, we'll see you next week. Um, I don't have a, a subject matter yet for uh, next week's podcast, but by the time we get there, we will. And uh, we'll just uh, see you next time. But thanks for joining us. And uh, take care, Keith. Have a great week. And until next time, thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. The Hawks Playbook Podcast is brought to you by the Fan Sided Network and 12thManRising.com. Find our podcast on the website or subscribe on iTunes. You can find both Bill and Keith on Twitter. Bill is at NWC Hawk and Keith is at Myers NFL.